Alright, party people, if you would, grab a seat. We're going to get started in just a moment here. Oh, it really, I know I've said this like a hundred times, but it really feels so good to be back with you guys. How many of you guys, like me, got sick in the last month? Just raise your hand. It's kind of terrifying how many of us got sick. Uh, the last month has been chaos. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tom. Uh, I have the privilege of providing leadership to this church plant with my wife, Ebony. She's... I think she's probably with the children right now. Uh, but yeah, I am stoked to be here with you guys again. But I spent the last, my family I should say, we've spent the last about four weeks with some form or fashion of us being ill. Okay, like we, uh, Christmas morning, all four of us were down. It was like, it was so sad, but I was really proud of my kids because they're sick and they kept like, you know, any kid, they want to wake up and open presents on Christmas morning. But we didn't end up opening presents till like 3 p.m. Because one of them was like passed out, ill, and then the other one would be up and kind of like, can we open presents now? We're like, well, we've got to wait for your sister, you know? And then the other one passed out. and one would It was just this crazy season of being like, oh, it was so tough. But here's what made it really hard, okay? Ebony and I both had the flu. The girls were getting over the flu, and they started to develop this cough. And the stupid thing about the cough was that it wouldn't kick in until right before bedtime. Okay, so we go to put them down to bed, no joke, and from like 7.30 until probably like 3.30 a.m., they would be up coughing. So picture, picture this. Imagine having the flu. And all you want to do is curl up into a ball because you're achy and go to bed but you have children. <laughs> All the moms know, yes. You have children, and they're up coughing, and like, literally, it's, it's like bad. Like, yeah, yeah, like, what is it called? The uh, croup, yes. Gut, yeah, it's gut, it's all that. It's, it, was, it, was, it breaks your heart as a parent to hear your kid not be able to stop coughing. So the one thing, the most important thing that you need when you have the flu is rest. And it was the one thing that Ebony and I could not get no matter how hard we tried. It's frustrating. It's frustrating because you want to be able to focus on us, but you can't, even though it's the most important thing. Tonight's a cool night for us because we're starting a new series going through the book of Galatians called Grace Alone. And the reason that we're doing this series is because we're in this formation season, right? Of planting a church. If we're going to be a healthy church... We need to be aware of what our most important thing is. In the same way, when you are you know, stricken with the flu, the best thing for you, the most important thing for you to regain your health and be a healthy individual is to rest. We as a church, if we're going to be a healthy church, we need to know what our most important thing is. Those of you that joined us for the series we just wrapped up called What is the Church? We were defining the church. Like if we're going to see a church plan, we better know what the church is. We better be on the same page. And I feel like a lot of fruit really has come out of that series of defining what the church is. So yes, we need to know what we are. We have, but we also we need to know, we need to get clarity on what's actually being built, right? <clears throat> but we're also in a season of, of laying a foundation. What is the most important thing? So that we can build on that foundation, like any structure. If you don't have a healthy, firm foundation, that building's going to topple. Okay? When things go, when things get rough, when, when the winds blow, when the, when the earth quakes, if you don't have a firm foundation, that building's going to topple. We need to know what our foundation's going to be as a church. Okay? That's why we're going through this series, Grace Alone, going through Galatians. We need to understand what our foundation is, and our foundation is nothing else but the gospel of Jesus. That's our foundation, the gospel. The gospel means good news. A lot of you have heard this before, but we're going to never stop hammering this reality of the good news of Jesus, okay? The gospel means good news. It's the good news that God, infinite creator of all things, came to earth. He took on flesh. He lived in your place. He died in your place. He did what you and I could not do. In all the ways that we make the poor choice, he made the good choice, and all the ways that we rejected God and did our own thing, he fully submitted to the will of the Father. <clears throat> he did what we could never do, and he did that to save us from the wrath that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve for disobeying God and rejecting him. And he did that to reconcile our relationship to God. That's the good news of what God has done. 
Okay, that's when I talk about the gospel. It's the most important thing, not just for our church, it's the most important thing in the universe. There's nothing more paramount than the gospel of Jesus. Nothing. It's what the Christian builds their life on. It's incredible news. Oftentimes, I've heard it in church circles talk about, maybe not so much talk this way, but um, approaching the gospel as though it's kind of like the front door into Christianity, right? So I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for my sins. I get saved. I get converted. And now I'm a Christian, and I do all these good things for Jesus, and I obey him. Doing good things for Jesus and obeying him are wonderful, but the gospel is not like the front door. It's not something that you walk into and then pass by, and now you do other things. The gospel is the foundation. The gospel is the foundation of the entire building. It's the foundation that you live on as a follower of Jesus. So get this. If you aren't, if you aren't on the foundation of the gospel, you've left the building. Like you've moved on from the gospel. Another analogy would be like a diving board, right? It's not what gets you, it's like the gospel isn't the diving board. It's not what like propels you into the pool of living a Christian life. No, the gospel is the pool itself. It's the water that you swim in in an ongoing way. So we're going through the book of Galatians because it unapologetically promotes the supremacy of the gospel of Jesus. There's nothing more important it unapologetically says the gospel is the most important thing, and not only that, but never moving on from the gospel as though it was the front door and not the foundation that we build on, okay? So my prayer for us in this season of the formation of our church is that Restored Temecula will be built on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus and nothing else. Not a, a cool gathering, not even a fun community, not anything other than the gospel of Jesus, the good news of what God has done on our behalf because of his love for us. And then we would never, ever move on from it, generation after generation, okay? So hopefully you have your Bible. Go ahead and turn to, I'll give you one guess where we're going to be in the scriptures this evening. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. Hopefully you have your Bible. Go ahead and turn there. If you don't, we'll have words on the screen for you. You can follow along that way. Before I jump into the scriptures, I think we're going to need some background, some context into what we're about to read, okay? The Apostle Paul wrote this letter. That's what the book of Galatians is, the letter to the church in the region of Galatia, okay? Now, when I use the word apostle, it's an important word, okay? Paul was an apostle, and the word apostle in Greek, the Greek word is apostolos, and it basically just means to be sent, okay? To be a sent one. Now, biblically speaking, there's two types of apostles, okay? Follow along with me. Two types of apostles, capital A apostle and lowercase apostle, okay? What are the two types of apostles? Capital A and lowercase Thank you. Okay, capital A, lowercase a. Capital A apostle is somebody who was literally taught by Jesus himself in the flesh. They knew him. They, they touched him. They smelled him. They heard his voice. They, they spent time with the physical person, God in the flesh, Jesus. He taught them the gospel. He taught them what it was like to, to live in the kingdom of God, okay? Someone who was taught by Jesus and on top of being taught by Jesus, an uh, uppercase apostle, a capital A apostle, was sent from Jesus himself with a message to proclaim to all the earth and that message is the gospel. Okay, so two components that make a, a capital A apostle. <clears throat> Taught by Jesus in the flesh and sent by Jesus in the flesh. You guys tracking with me? Okay, <clears throat> a lot of these guys wrote the Bible. The next type of apostle, lowercase a apostle. That is every other sent one <coughs> since. Every other person who is sent on a mission to declare the gospel of Jesus with the gift of apostles. It just means sent one, Okay. <clears throat> Now, they weren't taught the message directly from Jesus, right? Not Jesus in the flesh, nor were they sent by Jesus himself. But here's the thing. Modern day apostles are really important. They're really important. Now, these aren't people that write new Bible. Okay, remember we talked about uppercase capital letter A apostle versus lowercase apostle. But these modern day apostles are really important because they carry on the task of guarding the gospel, protecting it from being being distorted, watered down, added to and advancing the gospel. So they're carrying on this same kind of lineage of our spiritual fathers, our spiritual, that's what really apostles, spiritual fathers. 
that took that message taught by Jesus himself, sent on a mission by Jesus himself, they just kind of carried that on. You guys, are you tracking with me? This difference of capital A versus lowercase a apostle, okay? So the apostle Paul, <clears throat> he has the authority of being taught and sent by Jesus himself. Now, if you remember correctly, Paul wasn't spending time with like Peter, James, and John. No, Paul was persecuting Christians. He was basically murdering followers of Jesus as a devout Jew. And then Jesus appears to him. The risen Jesus appears to him and spends time with him in flesh, his risen body, teaching him, and then sending him on a mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So Paul has this authority being taught and sent by Jesus, okay? And he's a church-planning missionary. That means he's literally sent on a mission, proclaiming the gospel. So what he would do is Paul would show up in a town and he'd preach the gospel. He'd go, I have really good news for you. Like in all the ways that you fall short, in all the ways that you've rejected God by disobeying him, he actually came to earth, lived the life you couldn't, died the death you should have in your place to give you his perfect righteousness, his perfect record, the great exchange, so that you can be reconciled back to God. It's good news. So Paul comes proclaiming the gospel, and then what happens is, very much what's happening in this season of our, of our life as a church, a church gets formed. A community of people following Jesus centered on the gospel gets formed, okay? And then what Paul would do is he'd stick around, teach a little bit longer, get things going, and he'd bounce. He'd go to another city. He'd go to another region. And what he would do is he would supervise the churches that he planted by writing letters back to them. These are people he knew and loved, corresponding back to them. Are you tracking with me? Okay? <clears throat> so he's writing these, these letters, supervising these church plants in these communities until he could come visit again in, per in person. Okay, that's what the letter of Galatians is. Now, Galatia's a real place. It's not like a fairy tale. It's not like, you know, Harry Potter. It literally is real. Modern day Turkey, there's this like, you can, you can Google it. There's this center cut out in modern day Turkey. That's the region of Galatia. <clears throat> so what Paul was doing is he was, he was writing this letter. We're about to go through in probably the next 10 weeks or so. He's writing this letter to the churches in that region. He knew these people. He's writing to them. These churches, it'd be very, it'd be very similar if like, if, if, if uh, Southern California, there's, a, there's tons of churches in Southern California, right? The churches in this region that he's writing this letter to the followers of Jesus, the communities, the churches of Jesus, okay? One more little thing before we jump in. <clears throat> um, most scholars think that this was written like 15, 20 years after Jesus um, raises from the dead. Okay, so 15, 20 years-ish. So it gives you a, when you see like this is a real thing, okay? It's not like a figment of your imagination. It's not a myth. It's history. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So let me pray before we jump into the scriptures, okay? Can you pray for me? I'm gonna pray for our time. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that Jesus loves us and there's nothing we could ever do to earn that, but you still lavish your grace on us. It's crazy. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would um, really open all of our spiritual eyes and, sp and spiritual ears this evening um, to hear from you, to be encouraged by you, to be challenged by you, and ultimately to be ministered by you. If anything that I say or do gets in the way of that, I pray that you'd shut my mouth, you'd turn off my mind. I want to honor and serve my friends, and I want to honor you, King Jesus. You're so good to me. I don't deserve your grace, but you pour it out on me. So be with us. I love you. Amen. Okay, Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle. You guys know what that is now. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Okay, really quickly, Paul starts this, this letter like any letter. It's from, right? You start a letter, this is from Tom, this is from Tiffany, this is from Andy. Paul goes, this is from Paul, okay? And then he gives his credentials as an apostle. So he basically goes, hey, I was sent from God himself, okay? <clears throat> now, you gotta notice this, okay? Paul... His calling as an apostle, he says it came not from God. I'm sorry, he said it came from God, not from man. He goes, my calling that I'm living out right now is, 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 is not from man, it's from God. And as I was reading this, 
I just went, God, like, I want, I want the rest of my life to be me living out your calling on my life. Nothing else. I don't want to try to like hijack the pen of the story that you're writing for me. I don't want that. I really want what you have for me. What about for you? Are you living out God's call in this season of your life? Do you know what it is? If not, why not? Let's keep rolling. Verse two. So it goes, it's from Paul. And all the brothers who are with me. So he's not alone in this, okay? And then he says, two. We've got the from, now the two. To the churches of Galatia. And then verse three. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of, God, of, our, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul gives a nice little salutation there. He says, grace and peace to you. And here comes the heat, okay? Verse six, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we <coughs> preached to you, let him be accursed. Okay, really quickly. In verse 8 here, Paul pretty much dismantles Mormonism. <clears throat> Nancy and Jack, uh, their, uh, their daughter and son-in-law are rock star church planners in Provo, Utah. You want to talk about a really difficult place? to plant a church centered on the gospel of Jesus, not on, on works righteousness. <clears throat> so they have family that are literally living this out right now, but uh, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, he claims that an angel appeared to him and told him what needed to be added to the gospel. And Paul says, even if an angel appears to you and preaches a different gospel than the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let's keep reading. Uh, yeah, says, he says this, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we, we preach to you, let it be a curse. Verse nine, as we have said before, so now I say again, emphasis, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Okay, you need to understand something. This is really confrontational. This is a very confrontational letter. And I don't know if you know this, but this is the only letter that Paul writes to any of his churches where he doesn't give a thanksgiving. He goes, this is, who it's to, this is who it's from. This is who it's to. Grace and peace to you in Jesus. Boom. Like he goes after them. Unapologetically, like protecting, guarding the gospel. <clears throat> he's angry. He's basically telling these people, he says, you think you understand the gospel, but you don't. You think you understand what it means to follow God, but you're completely wrong. Guys, remember Paul's writing to professing Christians here. Like, these are baptized believers. And he's got strong language. He's not mixing his words. He's going, you've moved on from the gospel. You think you know what it is, but you clearly don't. He's telling them they're completely wrong. You ever, you ever have somebody tell you that you're completely wrong? How's that usually go? It kind of feels funky. We need to understand why Paul is so angry. We need some more context here, okay? <clears throat> the first Christians were Jewish, okay? The very first Christians were Jews, waiting for their Messiah, waiting for their Savior, <clears throat> okay? Now, as the gospel of Jesus spreads, right? These Jews get saved, the word goes out, the message goes out, the good news goes out, people get saved, right? And the word gets spread to non-Jews. You guys are familiar with what non-Jews are called? They're called Gentiles, Okay, so you have Jews and non-Jews, which are Gentiles. They started to receive and follow Jesus. So now you have Jews that are Christians following Jesus as the Messiah, and now you have Gentiles, non-Jews, that are receiving Jesus, following Jesus. Okay, So the churches in the region of Galatia that would have received this letter, they're made up of Jews and Gentiles. Right? You follow me? <clears throat> okay. There was, a, there was like a group of teachers in Galatia they were insisting that in order to truly be accepted by God, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they needed to observe all of the traditional Jewish laws. So all the dietary laws, all the ceremonial laws, 
and the Mac Daddy of all, circumcision. <laughs> you can giggle. Circumcision is <laughs> we'll learn. Listen, gospel means good news, right? So if you have a message of good news and you have a message of circumcision, like those two things, one doesn't stand a chance versus the other. Like circumcision is not good news, okay? Those two things should never be associated. So you have these false teachers, okay? And they're teaching that the gospel plus Jewish tradition equals salvation. So Paul is really angry for two reasons. The first is, these false teachers are distorting the gospel. They're saying the gospel plus. Are you tracking with me? Paul's really angry about that. The second thing he's really angry about is that the Christians in Galatia are believing them. The followers of Jesus, whose foundation is the gospel of Jesus and nothing else, are believing these liars. Okay, so I want to spend the rest of the time I have talking about the danger of distorting the gospel. <clears throat> okay, what's the big deal? Like, it's circumcision. Like, it doesn't hurt anyone against it. does hurt people. <laughs> but it doesn't really like, you know, whatever. What's the big deal? Adding to the gospel, adding to the finished work of Jesus is a huge deal, and here's why. Because you only add to things that are incomplete. Think about this. I'm convinced that there's two types of people in the world. Person number one, when they order a burrito, they get hot sauce. Person number two doesn't. <clears throat> Which one are you? Do you put hot sauce on your burrito or do you skip the hot sauce? <clears throat> I, I choose the hot sauce because a burrito is incomplete without hot sauce. Okay? Some of you, your plate, comes to, your, your, your plate of food comes to the table and the first thing you do is you reach for the salt and pepper. And you put the salt and pepper, whichever one you want, on your food. Okay? The other day, this is probably like, this is probably two years ago. I'm not going to use names because I don't want to humiliate anybody, but I went to a very, very nice steak dinner with a friend of mine. Okay? This person is not in the room, so it's okay. It's not gossip because I'm not using his name. <clears throat> we go to this really nice steak dinner, okay? We, get, we both get fillets, uh, which in my opinion is the best cut of meat. We both get a fillet, and the fillet is like 50 bucks a piece, Okay? He's paying, which was awesome. <clears throat> so we both sit down, we both get fillets, and they come out, and just the smell, and it's like sizzling. It, some of you guys don't eat meat, I'm sorry. It was, just the smell alone makes you salivate, and you're like, oh yes. And the waiter sets it down in front of us, and my buddy goes, hey, do you guys have any A1 sauce? <laughs> yes, and, and the waiter looks at him like, are you are you joking around? Like, are you serious? <laughs> and he kind of even like chuckles, like, huh? And he's like, no, 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 I, do you have any A1 sauce? And he's like, uh, I don't think so. Let me check. And he's like, well, this is, a, this is a steakhouse. And he's like, that's a $50 filet. You don't need A1 sauce. But in his mind, that steak was incomplete. You only add things to things that you think are incomplete, okay? In the same way you'd add salt or A1 or hot sauce because the meal is lacking, it's incomplete. <clears throat> now, you might just be thinking, hey, I'm just like adding flavor. I'm just kind of like trying to work on my palate here. I'm just adding flavor. Like, tell that to the chef. The guy who, you know, has, has spent his whole life perfecting how to cook a steak perfectly and marinate it properly and all that stuff, right? You only add to things that are incomplete. Listen to me. On the cross before Jesus died, some of his last words were, it's finished. It's finished. He didn't say, oh man, I almost did it. He didn't come up short. He wasn't stopped at like the one yard line. His work was not incomplete. It lacked absolutely nothing, friends. <clears throat> So when we add to the gospel, we're making accusations against God. You need to understand this because we all do it, okay? If you spend enough time searching your soul and really like giving that heart diagnostic stuff that we like to do here, you recognize we do the same exact thing. We make these accusations against God. When we add to the gospel, it's basically like, hey, Jesus, you failed like, nice try, good effort, beautiful effort. 
but your blood wasn't quite enough. Your suffering wasn't enough. Your perfection in my place is a gift of grace, just not quite enough. What I really need is my contribution. What I really need is what I can provide to the equation. It wasn't enough to secure my salvation. Listen, adding to the gospel, it isn't even primarily like a theological issue. It's not even primarily like a belief issue, what you believe about God. Friends, it's a relational issue. Think about this, okay? The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done, the good news of what God has done in your place because of his love for you. What you could never do, right? The gospel is Jesus demonstrating his love for his bride. Those of you guys that were with us when we went through how the church is the bride of Christ, the gospel is Jesus demonstrating, declaring his love for his girl, for you, for me. Jesus' whole life was spent crafting this perfect gift of love for his bride. Every minute, every second, every moment, every detail of his whole 33 years of life had a purpose. Every millisecond was for you. It was for me. It's the treasure of my life. So here's why it's offensive. Jesus gave all that he had, completely poured out, nothing left. He gave it all. He gave everything that he had. He gave himself. Look back at verse six really quick with me. This is where Paul starts getting angry. He says, I'm astonished, I'm shocked that you are so quickly deserting what? What does it say? Him. Because it's not primarily a theological issue, guys. It's not primarily about what you like, believe about God. It's a relational thing. When we add to the gospel, we're rejecting relationally Jesus. <clears throat> it's rejecting God's love because his love, his whole life, his whole life was an act of love for you. <clears throat> Distorting the gospel is saying, Jesus, you're not enough. I need to add more. There has to be a plus sign there. So I have a really, really important question for you. In your opinion, your expert opinion, what does God think about you? Is he disappointed in you? Maybe you just think like, yeah, he tolerates me, but he wants more out of me. He's angry with you, maybe. Maybe you think he's frustrated with you. Maybe you think he's annoyed with you. Whatever your answer is to that question, whether it's positive or whether it's negative, I have a follow-up question for you, okay? Imagine if you were to spend the next year and you were to um, give of yourself in a beautiful way. So you go down to Tijuana. Um, Maybe you even move down there. And you dedicate a year of your life to rescuing orphans off the street and caring for them and loving for them and providing for them, giving your time, giving your money, giving your energy to loving like the least of these, people in desperate need, if you were to do that, you're spending the next year of your life, do you think that that would have an effect on God's opinion of you? Listen to me. If you think so, or I should say when you think so maybe, you're guilty of adding to the gospel just like the Galatians. You've moved on from it. Or maybe you don't know the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. Because the truth of the gospel is that we're saved by grace. Alone. You cannot earn it. God offers you the perfect record of Jesus as a gift. The 
There's nothing else needed in the equation. Now, don't get me wrong. Serving orphan children is a beautiful thing. But it has absolutely no impact. If you're in Jesus, if you're covered in the righteousness of Jesus, when God looks at you, he cannot be more pleased. No matter what you do. Because when he sees you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus that you don't deserve, but that was given to you freely as a gift that you've received. Are you following me with this? If you trust in the gospel, it means that when God looks at you, you can't be more pleased, guys. This is, this is huge. <clears throat> because Jesus' his righteousness lacks nothing. It's not incomplete. It's perfect. The other morning, uh, most mornings I spend with Jesus, and the other morning, um, it was the most gorgeous sunset, or sunrise, I don't know. I don't want to say ever, but it was incredible, man. Like, there was this color of purple in the sky at, like, 6.30 a.m. that was, like, breathtaking. I literally, I'm making my coffee, and I look out my back, my back window, and I just see this, just, the sky's on fire, and it's this bright purple. It was incredible. It takes your breath away. Have you ever seen a sunrise or a sunset like that? Where you're driving in your car, maybe, and you're just like, oh, my God. Goodness, that's incredible. You stop and you stare. It's beautiful. It lacks nothing. In that moment, I'm not thinking, oh, it'd be really cool if like, there was just this hue of green, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're just in awe. Almost a year ago, Ebony and I were in Paris. And uh, Ebony's always wanted to go to Paris. And we've been praying for a Paris trip for your life. <laughs> and we, I had enough airline miles and I cashed them all in and it got us there for free. It was awesome. So we got to spend some time in Paris and uh, Ebony loves art. <clears throat> so we, go, we went to the Louvre. If you guys are familiar with the Louvre, is, it's this incredible, arguably the best museum in the world. Okay, It's huge. There is artwork everywhere. There are masterpieces in every room. It's crazy. You could sp- we spent the whole day there. didn't even see the whole thing. It was mind-boggling. Everywhere you look, I mean, like Mona Lisa's there, uh, Winged Victory's there. There's just countless masterpieces. And through every single room you walk in, you just go, oh my goodness. That's perfect. That sculpture is better than real life. That painting is phenomenal. It's magnificent. Masterpieces everywhere. They lack nothing. They lack nothing. Friends, everything changed in my life when I was able to see the masterpiece of Jesus' life. His perfect life in my place. His substitutionary death in my place that I deserve for the ways that I reject him, for my pride, for my arrogance, for my lust. His life is a masterpiece. It's flawless. Guys, it makes the Mona Lisa look like garbage. And there's like this crowd of hundreds of people huddled around to see this painting. And I'm like, yeah, it's beautiful. It's a masterpiece. But take a load of Jesus. Like, get a load of Jesus. His life and his death in my place is the greatest masterpiece that's ever been created. His entire life culminates in his brutal death. It was God's masterpiece. And he painted it for you too. It lacks nothing. You can't add to it. You can't add to the gospel. You can't earn it. You can't even contribute. It's perfection. You on your best day, me on my best day. The Bible says it still reeks in the nostrils of God. That either does one of two things to you. It makes you feel like crap or it makes you feel incredible. And you want to know why? Because when God looks at a wretch like me, he goes, I'm going to send my son to die for that guy because he can't, he can't fix himself. It makes me feel loved. It makes me feel valued that Jesus would paint the masterpiece of his life for me. <clears throat> you can't contribute to it. The only part that you and I play is to receive what we don't deserve. That's it. That's what makes it good news. 
You don't have to do things to earn God's love. You get to actually live now, do things, your actions. You get to do things now out of a place of being loved, not for the love of God. What that does in you, what that does in me, is it creates a heart of gratefulness and a security and a peace and a joy that's untouchable by your circumstances. You want to live the freedom that that Paul's going to talk about in the rest of this book of Galatians? It's found only in the gospel of Jesus. Not the gospel plus something. Not the gospel plus your prayer life. Not the gospel plus reading your Bible. Not the gospel plus doing amazing things like those things and serving the poor. All those are amazing. But all those things done out of a place of already having the acceptance and approval of God, you can actually do those things to worship. Because if not... You're going you're gonna to be tempted to do those things to earn the approval of people and to earn the approval of God. But if the gospel, the good news is true, you already have it. That transforms your motivations. It changes everything, guys. If you trust in the truth of the gospel, there's nothing you could ever do to get God to approve of you any more or any less. So listen, that question, right? Like if God thinks about, like what does God think about you right now? Whatever your answer was to that question, hear me say this. When God looks at you, he has one of two responses. Black or white, it's one or two. The first is this. If he looks at you and he sees the Christian, the person who's put their faith and trust in what Jesus has done, he sees a beloved, chosen, adopted son or daughter who's clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus that was given to that person as a gift of grace. They didn't earn it. God just lavished his grace on them. So he either sees the follower of Jesus, the Christian, the person whose trust is in Jesus' performance, not their own, or he sees someone who thinks that they can buy the approval of God of the universe with their performance. That's religion, friends. If you were to ask people, if you ask most people, especially in Western cultures, Say like, hey, like, how would you define a Christian? The first thing out of their mouth would be there are people who do this or people who don't do that. Rules, religion, what their contribution is on top of what Jesus has done. That's a misunderstanding of the gospel. It's a misunderstanding of Christianity. And it breaks my heart because it's a misunderstanding of Jesus. religion. God hates religion, friends. It makes him really angry. It made Paul really angry. Listen to me say this. The gospel is not a meal or a painting that God needs my help to contribute to. It's a masterpiece that he offers as a gift of grace. It's the most beautiful news in the world. Like, think about it, right? Like, you have a holy, perfect God. It takes perfection to be in right standing with a perfect and holy God. It takes living a masterpiece. And unless you're perfect, then Jesus is your only hope. Jesus is my only hope. So listen, the danger in distorting the gospel, the danger of adding the gospel, the thing that got Paul so riled up that he wrote an entire letter to people far away going, what are you doing? Like, in the same way when your kid runs into the middle of the street, what do you do? No, don't, stop. I'm just going to pretend it's not happening. No, man. If you love that kid, you are, you are booking it into the middle of the street, willing to take on the semi-truck that's going to come that might hurt your kid. <clears throat> Paul is worked up because it's dangerous to distort the gospel. Because what's at stake is your life, it's your soul, it's your eternity. <clears throat> the danger of distorting the gospel, the danger of adding to the gospel is that in doing so, you're trusting in your imperfection to get you in right standing with the perfect God of the universe instead of Jesus' masterpiece. Adding the gospel means your faith is in your performance and not Jesus. That's dangerous, friends. Listen, it's not the amount of faith that you have that saves you. Okay, this drives me crazy. It's not biblical. People will be like, I just gotta have faith. Faith is really important. 
It really is. It's a key element to be, of being a Christian is having faith. But it's not the amount of it that you have. It's the object of your faith that saves you. Okay? So follow me with this. I want to illustrate this for you. Let's say you and I are in an airplane. Okay? And it's going down. <clears throat> it's going to crash. You grab a parachute and I grab a Red Bull. I'm like, you know, like, dude, Tom, you need to put this parachute on. I'm like, dude, I got Red Bull. It gives you wings. I'm like, good, you're fine. I can fly out of here. And I could have as much faith as I, I could have as much faith as any person in the history of the world has ever had in this can of Red Bull. And you and I both know I'm, it's not going to save me when that plane crashes. If I jump out of the plane, I'm going to fall and pounce. But on the other hand, if I just had a little bit of faith, maybe faith the size of a mustard seed in that parachute, how many of you know that I might have my life saved? That parachute's going to safely lay me down on the ground. Listen to me. One of the greatest lies that's told in our culture is that the amount of faith that you have saves you. It's not true. It's the object of your faith. And if your faith, hear me say this, friend, if your faith is in comparing yourself to other people for better or for worse, to make yourself feel a little bit more holy, a little bit better, you're adding to the gospel. You're putting your hope, your faith, your trust. That's what, hope, that's what faith is, friends. Faith is putting your trust in something. It's what you trust in. So you can have as much faith as you want in the Red Bull. You can have as much faith as you want in your ability to perform holy, righteous acts. You can have as much faith in your ability to look better or perform better than other people and have that be your standard of judgment. I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus because I'm not as bad as her. That's Jesus plus. That's adding to the gospel. That's putting your trust in something other than Jesus. You can put as much trust in that as you want but it's not going to give you the result that you were created for, and that is to spend eternity with him, free from sin. <clears throat> Faith is what you trust in. Adding to the gospel means that you're trusting in your performance. You can have as much faith as you want in your performance, but it's not the amount of faith that you have that saves you. It's the object. It's what you put your trust in. <clears throat> so friends, Paul, he's writing this letter to these Galatian Christians who are being deceived that God's masterpiece of Jesus' life and death and resurrection is the gospel. They're believing the lie that the masterpiece needed to be added to. And Paul loved these people, so he told them the truth. He lovingly and firmly rebukes them, not because he's trying to like lord over them, but because a spiritual father, when he sees these kids running in the middle of the street, he does something about it. He called them to repent of their sin of being religious and trying to add to the gospel and to start putting, or stop putting their faith in their performance. So he says, hey, stop. You're running in the middle of the street. You're putting your faith, your trust in your performance. Stop doing that. Put your faith back in the gospel. Put your faith back in Jesus' performance in your place. Guys, that's the ongoing everyday rhythm of the Christian. Identifying misplaced faith and putting it back in Jesus. Identifying misplaced faith. Oh man, like I'm totally insecure right now, which is causing me to lie because I want I want Ryan to think I'm cool. So, oh man, I'm I'm totally missing it here. My faith is in if I have the approval of Ryan, I'm going to be totally good in life. No, no, no. Jesus loves me. He cares for me. He lived in my place. Died in my place. He died to forgive that sin. Now I'm free. I'm free to not put my faith and trust in Ryan and put my faith and trust back in Jesus, and so on and so forth. We could list a million things that we all struggle with, but that's the rhythm, the ongoing rhythm of following Jesus, identifying misplaced faith and putting it back in Jesus. You tracking with me? It's recognizing what you're trusting in. That's repentance, right? Repentance, we talked about this, but we need to get this in our brains. Repentance is not saying I'm sorry. Repentance literally means to change direction, right? So repentance is not, I'm sorry for doing this, Jason. Repentance is, I'm stopping this right now, Jason. You see the difference? You take responsibility in both, but one, there's action that occurs. 
Hey, I'm sorry, I was a total jerk. Yes, that's not repentance. Hey, I'm not gonna be a jerk in this way anymore. I'm stopping right now. That's repentance. You guys see this. That's that ongoing pattern of I'm identifying misplaced faith. I'm stopping this. I'm putting my faith back in Jesus. Um, As I was praying for our time, I'm gonna wrap you guys in Um, I really feel like God has um, kind of stuff he wants to do in us tonight. And I think there's two things I think he's calling each of us in the room to. I think he's calling each of us to repentance and to receiving his grace. Okay, this isn't limited. Remember, the gospel's not the front door. Right? It's, it's not, it's the foundation. That means whenever we're in the building, we're standing on the foundation. We all need the gospel. Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter. I believe God's calling all of us to repentance and receiving his grace. <clears throat> so what I want to ask you to do is just bear with me for a moment. Close your eyes. I'm not doing this to be overly spiritual. I just, I really want you to focus. I really want you to receive what God has for you tonight in the ways that he wants to minister to you. there's something in in your life that God wants you to stop. But I'm equally convinced that he wants you to receive the grace that he has for you. To both hands. grace that covers that sin, that frees you from the bondage of that sin, from the brokenness of that sin, from the pain associated, from the ways that it hurts you, from the ways that it hurts the people around you, from the ways that it grieves his heart, the lover of your soul, who created a masterpiece for you. Think about that just for a minute. The reality of Jesus spending 33 years of his life. I'm 32, I'll be 33 next next year, or this year. When I think about the, the every moment of a 33-year-old life, every single moment was flawless. Like think about that. And when you consider and you actually realize the truth and the beauty of the gospel that it was for you. giving himself to you, him tempted in every way that you're tempted, yet not giving in to sin because he had a righteousness that he was going to credit to you that had to be perfect. He painted a masterpiece for you. Think about the reality of that. His perfect life of every moment of his life to cover your sin and the death in his place to pay the debt of your sin. God offers that to you every day. Today's no different. Tomorrow will be no different. You cannot exhaust his grace. That shouldn't develop in us a desire to go, oh, well, I got grace to fall back on. Grace alone. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you could ever possibly do to add to it. It's the good news of the gospel. So whatever it is in this moment, Spirit, I want you to, Spirit, I want you to bring things to our minds that you want to free us from. The things that the sins in our life that are hurting us and hurting others. I pray in this moment you would bring it to each of our lives. We all need the gospel give a rip how long we've been following Jesus as an individual. We all desperately need the gospel. We all desperately need the grace of Jesus because it's the grace of Jesus alone that saves us. Saves us today from the bondage of that sin, the shame of that sin. And ultimately it will save us from the presence of sin forever. 
pray. Pray that each of us in this room this evening would have an encounter with your grace that's personal, that's powerful. I pray that we would not make the same mistake as the Galatians, distorting the gospel, believing lies about the gospel that we can somehow add to the perfect record of Jesus. But the reason we do that is we want merit, we want to contribute, we want glory, we want credit. We want to look better in the eyes of other people. But you have grace even for that. Man, you're spectacular. I think some people need to repent in the area of the calling piece we talked about earlier. Like not living out the call that they know is on their life because they think that they can draft a better calling for themselves. Jesus, pour on your grace. would be the gospel. We'd never move on from that. And the fruit that you would bear would be incredible. So God, I'm grateful. I pray that you'd minister to each of us in a personal way tonight. Hear our praises to you. We love you, Jesus.